Are you gonna be able to stay awake? I think so. I think I'll be okay. Oh wait, I have something for this. I have something for this. It just came in the mail the other day to help me stay awake. Here we go. Uh oh, is it? Is it what is it, black blood of the air stuff? No, no. This is this is some super serious smelling salts. Let's see. Oh. Actually, be careful because I almost passed out the first time. I opened this bottle. It's really intense. Because <laughs> I just like stuck my nose right in it, and that was that's dumb. We don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'll, that'll do it. He, his face, for those, since you don't have the video, folks, his face was like a two-year-old trying Brussels sprouts for the two, first time. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was very tired, and he was, I'm like sitting there waiting to do the clap before he's like just zoned out. It's great. Yeah, um, I'm awake. I'm ready. I'm focused. You ready? Okay. Get, I could get, do get. a deadlift or do a podcast. I'm ready for either. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, man, I have been like, I am so behind on my emails. I am so behind on everything because I have barely been at my computer to do admin stuff for like the last two weeks. Like since I got back from Rochester, it's just been like, go, 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 go. Sure. Uh, in part though, like there's some good news. We got uh, 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 a parish coordinator position filled, which is great full time. Her name's Maria. She's uh, she's gonna be amazing actually. I'm like really excited to have her on board. So that's great. But um, so I hired her last week, which is like, ah, you can just feel the stress coming off my shoulders already. I was like, ah, this is great. I'm gonna have staff again. Um, and then on Friday, I went down to Victoria to do our World Youth Day meeting. And it looks like for our diocese, which is a small diocese and everything, I was not expecting a ton. But, like, I think we're going to have at least 27 young adults, maybe even more, coming to World Youth Day, which is really great. Yeah, that's great. So, because I'm one of the chaplains for that. And then came back up on Saturday, uh, baptized uh, Luke and Jesse on the way back up for Megan and Luke and... Um, uh, Francis and Mary at another parish because they don't have a priest and I had they had asked me a long time ago if I could do it I'm like yeah sure so I stopped on my way up mass and stuff and then went to Prisher's that night Sunday mass and stuff and then uh, pancake breakfast which was a really great turnout and it was really nice to hear some of the fruit of that like a lot of the older prisoners for example sometimes who you know they were they're very happy because like i had a bunch of them say i've never seen so many young adults at the church before oh there you go and they're all down for the pancake breakfast mm -hmm. I'm like, yep good job <laughs> yep. And then went back down to Victoria <laughs> to do a, uh, a house blessing for some friends. They bought a house. They got a couple of kids, uh, Chantel and Jeremy. And so I said, like, you know, you're going to be having friends coming over. You're going to prep and everything. Like, let's just have mass at your house, too, just to make your life easier. You don't have to worry about because I only have one mass on Sunday. I don't mind doing this. And they, so we had a mass in their backyard. And that was great. And then and all, and it was great because you don't need, who needs a cry room when you're doing mass outside? The boys are just running and playing in the dirt pile in the back. Yeah, and they're just, yeah, that works just fine. They're just so happy. It was like, like, let's just put dirt piles in the churches for kids to play with. Sounds like a great idea. I'm sure some, a bunch of hippie churches during Lent have piles of dirt that, uh, just not, yeah. This, it's, yeah. I'm sure um, that's been that was before. great. And that was, you know, it was awesome. And it was funny because like Chantel's like, oh, so, you know, Father, you can park up on the top of the driveway because you're going to be the last one to leave. Mm -hmm. and, and she was right. I got, I got left at 11 o'clock that night and then, yeah. And then yesterday I was visiting some more friends on my way back and now I'm back. So, and now I'm like, I'm not going to Victoria for two weeks. I'm not, I'm not leaving town for two weeks because that's been, I've been driving up and down the Island so much and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to stay put for a couple of weeks before I go to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it was like, well, is this like one of those good weekends? I was like, you know, it's been a tough year as people know. Uh, and I've shared a bit about on the podcast. I, I, I try not to share too much about parish stuff, not because, or at least like the day they work at eight, because I know parishioners listen. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's part sure, of it. Sure, sure. But it's also like, um, you know, I'll share my heart and stuff for sure. But I mean, like, I, I just, you just, but it's been a tough year. But like this last week, honestly, I felt like, huh, maybe things are finally turning around. That's nice. Maybe it's finally turning around. Probably so, not, but I like that you think that. Listen, this last week has been delightful pretty much. I had no real major issues in the parish, which has been like the first time all year. So mm -hmm. I was like, ah, oh, maybe maybe things are... We even kind of came up where our diocesan appeal starts this week, and uh, we came up with an idea. We're going to renovate one of our confessionals because it's not soundproof. I don't even use it right now. I use an old adoration, small adoration chapel area because it can actually have soundproofing because mm -hmm. those confessionals i they ain't soundproof <laughs> not even close <laughs> so we're gonna build a new confessional for that so no i'm just i don't know i'm in a i'm in a good place despite the busyness and like my desk is a mess with paperwork that i'm so behind on that i'm gonna try and get through today but i'm feeling 
positive and not like over like I, I mean I'm overworked in a way but I mean like I don't feel the burden of that right now that's good I'm happy for you father Harrison so it's just yeah I don't know that's not really discussion based I guess that's just me monologuing about my weekend but I don't know yeah so like yeah well that's the podcast folks uh no uh welcome to clerically speaking i'm father harrison i'm father anthony you're just looking at me like what are you doing man what are you like you really are tired why are you tired blood alone turns the wheels of history father harrison yes there comes a time in every priest's life when he needs to show his strength he needs to strike fear in the hearts of his parishioners let them know that no matter how much they may think they are great, strong, powerful. The priests are always the most powerful. That they should fear and respect his every word. And he does this by entering the beer sign competition at his Oktoberfest. And? And uh, was there any doubts? Would there be any doubts? Who would win this? Absolutely not. Father Anthony Sharapa crushed everyone humbled everyone Bigger. all like i don't know there's like 50 people who is that is that the cup in the background there uh wait uh let's see i got it right here the i right, got my little stein that i've won oh that one okay okay yes that's so small though oh, i mean a two-year-old could win that competition right right father Harrison, you come over here and you fill this thing with water dude, and you hold it for dude, over 11 dude, minutes straight out dude there's no dude, way you could there's no way the, you could that's not even a real Stein. A real Stein's one liter. That's great. If it was one liter Steins, I would still destroy you in this thing, as I would all my prisoners as well. No mm-hmm. doubts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I am outraged that you even that what. Listen, I'm waiting for you to come to Canada to challenge me on this. I will destroy you. I will humble Bring you. Bring it on. Bring it on. You, Are you will coming weep in March? at my feet, Are you come in March? asking for mercy as I continually hold the Stein out. Are you going to come? Arms locked. Uh, listen, I am inviting you to destroy me. you will me. look up and ask me for mercy, and I will say no, and I will smash the stein over uh, listen, your head. What part of me is I will take over your parish. <laughs> I will annex your parish diocese. You will be you simply be a, a colony you, of St. Michael the Archangel. I will win by right of conquest, by right of blood. I will conquer and Go destroy nuts. you. You have no power over me. Oh, I, I will. Like the Joker right oh, now. I will. I feel like the Joker right now because everything you're threatening me with, I'm like, that's not a threat. That that's actually no. These like, are you're, the things that will happen. Go ahead. Uh, this is not a threat. This is a prophecy. How dare you disrespect me in my moment of triumph? I'm not disrespecting. I'm just saying that you have leveled it's, nothing it's, but disrespect. I, all I've said. I was is here that to share victory and joy did. with you. I'm saying a story a of crushing the lay people, which you should have been totally about, and here you are. Giving me I'm a Sonoda man. Sass. I'm a Sonoda man. I'm a Sonoda man. You are you are a, a, a silly person, is what you are. Getting me all riled up. <laughs> well, it's good because it's waking you up. Which no, is it's not. Just making me angry. <laughs> so anyway, we had our parish October Congratulations! Fest. It was great. Congratulations! Had a lot of good food. That's good. Um, was there good was some, some nice. We had a we had what do we have? We had a Hefeweizen and a Dunkel beer, which was yep. nice. Um, also, if you didn't like those, you could have a white claw, because I guess that's German. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it was oh, good. Is it German? Was that? Is it German? Is I don't white think claw so. German? I don't think white claw. It'd be uh, Weiser Klaus, or I don't know. I don't know what the white claw would be. Nichts is verboten, wenn du trinken Weiser Klaus. I don't know how that works. No, but anyway, just- the point is. It was a delightful evening. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Father Harrison. I made a very okay. silly uh, training video. Um, directed, yes, produced, um, and scripted by our wonderful youth minister and young adult minister, Joni. Mm-hmm. A thing of brilliance, right? Um, and this got a lot of people to show up. And a lot of people decided to show up for our fun, silly uh, Steinholding competition. Which, just to be wait, clear... Did, did you your ho- pastor... Wait, I want to wait, wait, know something, though. Yeah. Did your pastor also enter this? He did. He was a good sport. He entered it. And you destroyed him? Yes. So now you're pastor? I, yes, but I'm not going to tell him that yet because I really don't want the responsibility. Okay. So we're just going to let him So you're going to let him do all the work, but you're just going to take the title? Yes. I will okay. take the title. I'm not going to tell anybody except myself. 
So I think it's the best and way. And thousands of people who listen to us every week. That's true too. Um, who are some of your parishioners? Some of which are who my now parishioners. Now we'll tell your pastor. They and then clerically speaking, will be I over. Think my pa- well, that'd be interesting. If that's how I get canceled, then so be it. Anyway, <laughs> holding the beer sign out front. Yeah. And uh, there was, we thought we didn't put a lot of planning into this. Okay. Okay. And uh, so there weren't any referees. Uh, we were being told rules in the middle of the competition. Basically, you can't have your arm out to uh, the side; it has to be right in front of you. All this stuff, but it's fine, whatever. But I was getting really frustrated, Father Harrison, because it gets down to like the final three. We're past the ten-minute mark, and I'm looking at these dudes' arms next to me, and they are bent. They are spilling water because we didn't want to use beer. Um, they are spilling water all over the floor, um, and I'm just like. Somebody call it already. I have won this. I won this three minutes ago, and it's obvious to everybody. Just someone, I I can't say they're cheating because that's like a, a you, I can't do I that. Mean, yes, you can. I mean, I could, but that's just it would sound like I'm whining, and I have to show my strength to everybody, right? Yeah, but what's new there? It's this is I'm trying to show people my strength for her, so I can't whine at this thing. Okay, you're the worst. Let's just talk about how you ran all over, over the, the, the diocese doing random priest stuff. That's an interesting intro, Father Harrison. I'm trying to tell a story. Okay. So. Sorry. I'm sorry. I forgive you. Thank you. So the, you the, it ended. It ended with um, we had to stand on one foot. And I definitely had more balance than the other two guys. And I won. Yeah. And I won nice. a bag of pretzels. I won a uh-huh. tiara. I think it was a Little Mermaid tiara. Um, nice. I still have it? a birthday boy blue ribbon and uh, a pair of Stein. Those are the things I won for this competition. Cool. It was, it, nice. was, it was very delightful. And there, there was how much was your, How was your arm after that? So right after that, I could not lift it. And my fingers were numb. And I was like, oh, no. Is it, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that hilarious how that works? Like, <laughs> yeah. you overuse your arm sometimes. Like, your fingers, like, barely work. Yes. So my fingers didn't yeah. work. My arm didn't work. I thought for sure everyone was going to have to kneel for communion. Not out of reverence, but because I couldn't lift my arm high enough to, like, <laughs> get into the... <laughs> the body of Christ. <laughs> exactly. It's so heavy. I can't even lift it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but luckily, luckily, it feels fine today. It's been, like, two, three days. So we're good. We're good. And, uh... Yeah, parish October you see, what I, time, If man. I were you, what? see what you should have done if you're what? so confident of this is you should have said to your pastor, let's make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's bet our day of rest. Let's bet the w- day off. <laughs> and, and whoever wins gets the other guy's day off that week. Wow, that would be terrible though because I would still win because I don't have enough pride to, I don't have, I have too much pride not to win. And then yep. but my pastor works so hard. He deserves a day off. <laughs> I couldn't do that to him. Yeah, well, yeah, you could. Okay, I probably could, but I didn't. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, and the tough thing is if the pastor's not around, then you only, you have one less priest to answer, like, um, like sacramental emergencies, right? That's true. So, but we have two priests around to answer today theological emergencies. Excellent. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial one at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Oh, Father, this is Patrick. Uh, I was recently having an interesting conversation with a couple of my Catholic friends uh, here at college. Uh, they, they're nominally Catholic, and uh, they had a lot of questions for me as a, as a more serious Catholic. The main one was, why should we trust the church? They thought that a lot of the uh, things that the church teaches are rather arbitrary, well, things it decides about scripture, about doctrine, seems to be in the church's own self-interest. So what's the logic behind it all, and, and why, do I, why do we put our faith in it? I didn't have the most satisfactory answers, so I wanted to ask you. Uh, thank you for all you do. Love you both. Bye-bye. Again, like Patrick, if it's his real name, didn't even leave a place he's from. So like we can't even make he's fun from, of college. He's from college. I, do I think Patrick from college. Thing, I think, I think, <laughs> I think our, our roasting of Texas A&M a few weeks ago, I think has made any college student like, like hesitant to tell us where they go. That's fair. Uh, which is fair. I mean, I, yeah, I, I get yeah. that. Yeah. So why trust the church? What a great question. I, I mean, Actually, I think one of the books I would even recommend on this question, it's a little 
Italian, and it's like in its wording. Okay? Why did like you, it's, it's why did you say English. that as like a hesitation, like as a warning? Well, because like Italians, for as concrete and like like you know incarnate people as they are, wait, wait, love are you saying that language. because Italian Americans worked a lot with concrete that that decides what their writing is like? No, this has nothing to do with Italian Americans. I'm talking about Italians, real, real Italians. Mm, okay, not, not fake but be Italians careful. Like you. Be careful. You're, you're I'm getting... talking about fake Italians like you. You're a fake Italian. Wow. You're only half Italian. How is that even Italian? Wow. Keep going. Keep going. Go ahead. Go ahead. As I just take a moment here. <laughs> Let's sniff some more smelling spicy salts. today, man. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, it's by Luigi Giussani, the founder of Communion Liberation, Beautiful. and it's a book called Why the Church. But it is, it's like he, he has this, there's a certain abstractness to his language that can be difficult to get into. Yeah. But I think it's a really important book because I think at the heart of it is, well, the first thing is why trust the church? Well, because by nature, we trust other bodies of people to make things happen without us knowing how everything works. Correct. You go to the store and you buy bread, you're trusting that the supply lines are working, that the people in the store aren't poisoning the bread, mm -hmm. that people are making it properly according to what we need, that it's not gonna kill us, that the weed is, you know, all, there's all these different things we have no direct knowledge about, and we trust that it's there. Because to be human is to trust, is to trust um, that larger uh, bodies of people are doing what they're, they're, they're supposed to do. So why trust in that sense? It's like, actually, it's a human thing. Mm -hmm. And so the next question becomes, well, then why trust the church? Well, first, I guess the question becomes, what do you mean by the church? Yeah. Because I think here they mean, well, the magisterium. Mm. Okay. But then why trust that? Well, because Jesus said he instituted this. And so we, why do, and, and we believe that as Catholics, it's not just a me and Jesus thing, but that I encounter Jesus through his church which is not just the magisterium, it's essential, the magisterium, but it's also the whole baptized people as well. It's a hierarchical communion. <clears throat> so I, tr I also trust because others trust, <laughs> right? Uh, and I see in the fruit of the saints what happens when those who dedicate their whole life in trust to the church that mediates Christ to us in his teaching, I see what the fruit that brings. So I trust it for that reason. Um, I trust too because... We believe that it's not just people making arbitrary decisions, but it, rather that it's um, it is the it is instituted by Christ. Like, and this is a hard thing. This is, I think, actually, I think this is actually really the crux of the matter, because it's that modern notion that modern institutions are fundamentally untrustworthy. Period. Right. Any institution is not trustworthy, which is actually not true, because again, we wouldn't survive life if that was the case. We'd all become like homesteaders surviving on our own essentially because we wouldn't trust anything else out there to give us what we need um but it's that problem of modernism and mediation like that that god works through human beings like i actually i mean i was just listening i just finished uh, john o'malley's uh, book on history of vatican one um and it's just like it's very intriguing and you hear about every council is fraught with uh imperfect human beings and people with different political machinations and so on and so forth and yet the Holy Spirit seems to still work and to guide mm -hmm. and protect. Um, it, it's very fascinating, actually. So, but God works through this. He works through our humanness. Like, and this is the problem. We don't think that God would want to do that because we are imperfect people. But that is, that's actually one of the, I think, the great virtues of the Catholic tradition and the Catholic faith is that, you know, it takes our humanity seriously in all its factors. And God works with that. So finally, then why trust simply, if I believe Jesus is who he says he is, then I believe that he instituted the church this way. And when it comes to magisterial teaching, which has its own robust, robust um, understanding, it's not arbitrary because it's react. It's not. It's not. It, is it self-interested to an extent? Yeah, because it's there to protect the communion of the church, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's. But is it arbitrary? Absolutely not. None, no. I've yet to see any magisterial teaching that's arbitrary. So I think sometimes what they're saying is they're just they're distinguishing between like teachings and rules. Like there's a distinction between you have canonically by virtue of what Christ teaches, you have a right to baptism as a child by virtue of your Catholic parents. That's not arbitrary. That's actually very essential to being Catholic. 
what's arbitrary is all the paperwork and bureaucratic junk we make people <laughs> sure, go through. We do do that, yes. And I think, I wonder if, I guess that's the question I have is like, what do they mean by arbitrary rules? Do they talk about like what parishes do on a day to day basis where they might make up stuff just because they want to? But like on the universally level, I find it very rare, if ever, that things are just done in an arbitrary fashion. Sure. It's always reacting to a different problem today. So, I mean, I don't know if that answers it all, but those would be some of the things that are jumping in my head. You know, the, the way to not answer this in a pastoral way, uh, when someone asks you why trust the church, is just Shut to say, repent. well, that's one of them. Yes, correct. Good, good, good. But another way is be like, um, why trust you? Isn't your doubt of the church self-interested so that you don't have yeah. to sacrifice uh, yep. any of your own beliefs or give over to a higher power or authority? So that argument doesn't work super great for me. This whole, like, isn't this self-interested? Well, like, aren't you self-interested too? Also, on a certain, man, man, Father, he's cranky today. On a certain level, like, what? who else could you possibly trust? Yeah. Like, who is deserving more trust, historically speaking? Uh, the only reason why anyone knows about Jesus Christ is because of the church, is because Christ was born, lived, suffered, died, rose again, appeared to people. Those people told people who told people who told people, and that's why you know who Jesus Christ is. And there are offshoots, and even, even the other denominations still owe the church their existence and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther would not know who Jesus Christ is without the Catholic Church, and so on and so forth. So in a certain sense, there's no one with more historical uh, credence to trust in, uh, in this. Yeah, I mean, like, why, why trust a state that's been around for 200 years when you can trust uh, a church that's been around for 2,000? Like, yeah. and it's been, it's, it survived all these uh, all these like pendulum swings of history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think I think it just has a, a certain amount of credence to it. Um, a lot of times, okay, so it is helpful to have apologetics to remove obstacles so that you can mm -hmm. show that these things are reasonable and you can do that. But at the end of the day, um, conversion doesn't come through a simple acknowledgement of reason. Exactly. It comes from uh, repentance that comes from the heart. I think a lot of times yeah. when people ask these questions, their deeper problem is that there's something that they don't want to admit to because believing the church would mean they would have to come face to face with some of their own sinfulness. That being said, right. don't think that's a good place to start with in a conversation. Don't jump right, right to that, but just trust yeah. that like ultimately that really important step is gonna be taken care of by God. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I was gonna say quickly with that too. Yeah, you're right, absolutely. Like it's, I think 99.9% of the time I find that people when they're saying, oh, I don't believe, I don't know if I believe this, it's their way of saying, I don't want to change. Yeah. <laughs> but, cause, but folks, the truth purifies. Mm -hmm. It has to purify because if it's truth and you're not the be all end all of things, that means you have to be open to letting the truth change you, mm -hmm. not you change the truth. All right, let's go to the next one. What do you want to choose that one? Yeah, sure. Let me, let me see where we're right here. Hi, Father Anthony and Father Harrison. This is Greg and I will let you decide if that is my real name or not. I'm a nineties kid and something that I remember is that my parents and many others told me that listening to rock music or metal or any of those more edgy styles of music was definitely Satanism or the occult or something else that would definitely result in me going to hell. What's the church's teaching about styles of music? And what are your opinions about styles of music? Are there styles of music that are inherently good or inherently bad? Or is it more about what we put into them by our lyrics or the reasons for making this music? Thanks and love the podcast. Bye. Well, uh, thanks for letting me decide whether or not Greg's your real name. I've decided that it's not, but uh, the question's a good one. So uh, some of this is coming from uh, the satanic panic, which happened in the 80s. It's a weird cultural phenomenon, which I would have to know do more research to kind of give you the whole spiel about that. But basically, uh, especially Americans were seeing Satan around every corner, everything from rock music to Dungeons and Dragons to whatever. Everything was Satan, 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 Satan. Um, and part of that was the idea that- Did somebody say Satan? <laughs> exactly. Everyone from <laughs> SNL to everyone thought everything was from Satan. Okay. Um, and uh, part of this was because of rock music. The whole idea that if you play a song backwards, uh, yeah. Then it's like the some sort of devil speaking because to you. Back in those days, kids, 
people had things called records and cassette tapes and CDs, which you would play in reverse. Yeah, you can do and, that. And they would read it backwards, and it would sound a little warped and everything. Yeah. Uh, when back when we had physical musical media, yes, back so, when life was true, good, and beautiful, that was big. That was big with like some of the Beatles songs and uh, all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of the cultural background to this. Um, the church has an interesting relationship with music because from the very beginning, like basically, music and religion have always been together in the human spirit psyche thought. Like if you're gonna worship something you're going to use music uh, so you see that the music is involved in pretty much every tradition uh religious tradition because there's something about that kind of elevated speech um using that kind of sound it's there's something i don't know uh, mystical about it just as it is okay um i think it's important to realize that there are different types of music for different occasions um so certain music is fitting for liturgy and certain music is not fitting for liturgy does that mean liturgical music is the only music you should listen to? No, that's stupid. Yes. No. <laughs> listen, I there are some Catholic hymns that I love that I would I would rock out I to. I know. Like I know. let's just, let's kidding. go ahead. Let's build a city of God. That song slaps. No. I love it. But it's also heretical. I would never use it in in mass. Good. Would I use it as like a silly drinking song or something? Yes, Awake absolutely. from your slumber. <laughs> exactly. It's catchy oh, as heck. Actually, quick, quick, quick thing on that yeah. is so whenever a guy would sleep through, sleep in on the morning at seminary oh, no. and he yeah. didn't show up for mass or breakfast, a group of us would uh, gather outside his room and start singing the city of God. Yes. That's, Awake that's, from your slumber, arise from your sleep. A new beautiful. day is dawning for all those because uh, seminarians, um, as well as priests, we're jerks. Uh, so Absolutely. especially to each other, <laughs> it's great. It's it is good stuff. Continue. Continue. You know, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, I, I just really love this, you know, this hymn or that hymn," and I'm like, "You yeah. just love Disney musicals," because a lot of the hymns that Americans like is like, "Well, because it sounds like it, this mass setting sounds like a cheap Disney musical." And don't get me wrong, I love me a good Disney musical. I'll I could I could sing you pretty much every word from Mulan and various other things, but. That doesn't mean it's fitting for worship. There's different kinds of music for different things. If you're going off to war, you don't want to use Gregorian chant. You want something with drums. Um, this is just, so I think a lot of times we make a bigger deal out of music um, than we should. It can be tough because a lot of it is subjective, but I think it's fair mm -hmm. to say different type of music for different occasions. Uh, lyrics very much do matter. Um, and you do have to be careful with certain songs because by enjoying the sound of the music, part of you on some level is already acquiescing to what the song is saying, right? So if you're kind of nodding your head along with uh, music, but the lyrics are terrible, that there's a good chance that's gonna wear away at you. Doesn't mean you're gonna be possessed or anything, but I think it can desensitize you to the message that the music speaks. In the same way, the church has realized that a lot of times when um, teaching catechism, uh, especially in areas where there wasn't a lot of literacy. They would use song to do that. They would sing the creed. Hymns have theological value because it helps teach and inculcate what is in those words through the music. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, I mean, is music inherently, is certain types of music inherently satanic? I mean, I mean, there is I mean, polka. They're like literally talking. Polka yeah. is definitely satanic, right? Uh, sure. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we just offended a lot of listeners. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do, like, you know, there are songs where they're literally talking like worshiping Satan. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's, that's not bad. good ever. Mm -hmm. That's always bad. Okay. And there's this tendency to label something satanic without it going much deeper, which I don't think is helpful. And it actually often causes a rebellion in people because they're like, oh, yeah, that's stupid because it kind of is. And they want to point out the stupidity of it. However, I also don't think like what, but the the thing of like calling the satanic or whatever is coming from a place of a. There's a reckoning. There's something not right here either, right? There's something off about this. So there's a couple things with this. Uh, I think the first thing to think about is that the true, the good, and the beautiful are never separated. Mm -hmm. So uh, a for, forms of music have varying kind of levels of beauty, if you will, and I think that they can that corresponds to levels of truth and goodness. Um, and so I think that is a standard of a, of a judgment towards certain music. Um, 
I think form does matter actually in music, like how it sounds, mm -hmm. because I, the sound itself is communicating something, right? It's communicating. Like, like I, I struggle with the idea. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm just saying, I struggle with the idea of someone listening to like very heavy metal music. Personally, it's just because the form is destructive in its sound. I'm just going through all the yeah. metal music I have on my Spotify right now and trying to think. I think I think I think there's. I, certain... you know, I'm saying I'm saying I, I'm saying I struggle. I'm not saying I mean again. Right. I'm just saying I struggle to see that because I listen to stuff like that and it 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 inherently makes me like there's an inherent almost carnality to it that I, I I wonder if that's good or not. Fair. I think. Yeah. And that's I've, all I'm at. That's all I'm saying. No, yeah. I think that's a it's a fair enough critique. Um, but also there are lots of different kinds of, of metal, some with more or right. less, some of which is just kind of like a very heavy rock, um, others, yeah. which is, yeah, yeah. so it depends. I think it depends, but I think that's yeah, something to look yeah, out that's for. What yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I think like the form of the music matters. Like, like I was actually sure. just, um, uh, I've been reading for spiritual reading, uh, Louis Bouillet's, uh, liturgical piety, which is a very fascinating book. And he's talking about, uh, liturgical music in the, uh, after the reformation and how like, music was like there was a big critique about all the secular music in liturgy in the 18th and 19th century because all they were doing is playing like mozart and stuff like that at mass but none of it was actually liturgical music to lift up worship mm -hmm. it was just stuff done to mass settings they're like oh yeah this sounds nice and like there are a lot of criticisms about the notion of secular music there it's beautiful stuff but should it be there right it was just, it's, so it's always fascinating how these these things wave over history but I think that form question is really important. And I do think there is something about modern forms of music that are different that we always have to ask. Again, we should be it's asking questions about them, not saying I absolutely one way or another, I'm going to say like, absolutely, this is all bad and satanic. It's just to say, we have to ask questions, always ask questions yeah. in a critical way out of your own Christian freedom. Because Ratzinger brings this up in Spiritual Liturgy about like how contemporary forms of music almost have like a, like the contemporary notion of like the, of a concert and everything has a very pseudo ritualistic element to it, a kind of pseudo self leaving of self, but isn't actually authentic because it's actually towards the self. Like there is a transcendence that's experienced there that people are seeking for that. I think he says that's not good. And at the very least that doesn't belong to liturgical music. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think he's right. I think we'd be, that's a whole other question. Maybe that's a podcast topic. One day we can talk about liturgical music a bit because I think that's actually a very good point. Um, so, but the sound does form. And I think that's maybe what they were trying to get into when they said, oh, this is satanic. It's like, there's a truth there. It, what it, the whole point of the diabolical is that it, it disintegrates. It just separates, right? It disunifies. And I think some of the very heavy forms of certain types of music can actually do that to us in a human way. And I think that's, I think, so that's the intuition that it just got, it got exploded and then it creates a whole cultural movement in a way. So is it good or bad? It really is tough to say, but use, form your conscience in this stuff. And if you, and, and just remember the beautiful can never be separated from the true or the good. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do, uh, some PE presbyteral exhortations. <laughs> and now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes. Quite. Yes. I'm so tired right now that when you said let's do some PE, like my heart actually sank at the idea of exercising right now. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. I don't want those things. So I'm gonna go back to what I was talking about a couple, a few weeks ago. Uh, Guardini's End of the Modern World because I'm reading it with some friends. It's been a very fascinating read. Like the first half of the book we're done is it's actually kind of two books in one. And we're on the, the question of power right now, which is the second half of the book, modern notions of power, how that works and everything. Very fascinating read. But I want to bring up this one little point that he says at the end of the, this is a uh, chapter six in the book. And I want to read this all out because I thought this was so good that it's worth discussing. Before going any further, we should pause for a consideration that will help us to bridge the first half of the study with the second. What has been said so far could be interpreted as a description of human humanity's decline. Like So he's been talking about, at this point, uh, where the development of man is going. Okay, 
He continues, a large segment of current opinion actually does so interpret the historical process now unfolding that we're in a process of decline. He goes, but I beg to disagree, which would be shocking because he's been actually quite critical himself. He says, the person who takes this stand, usually unconsciously, of course, identifies the universally human with the humanity of a particular, though long, historical period. The number and variety of its phenomena mislead him. Still more the fact that his own cultural roots are nourished by it. Thus he is prone to certain false conclusions. For one thing, he overlooks the negative possibilities that also existed in the past. Like, you know, so for example, today we'll say, oh, the Middle Ages were better, right? And you'll ignore the negative things because you just see the good and you, and you, you see the good in the past and you only see the bad in the present. Not without reason did we consider the theological aspects of power before the philosophical. Man's inner confusion as described by the book of Revelation is characteristic, this is the important part here, not of any one epoch, but of all. It is part of fallen mankind. Naturally, from a Christian point of view, it is decline when the modern age as a whole draws away from Christian revelation. And it is understandable that the Christian interpretation of history dwells affectionately on the Middle Ages. However, it should not be forgotten that the direct application of the truths of revelation to world problems also has its dark side. The, the fact is too readily overlooked that Christian truths are by no means self-evident and that they speak of judgment as well of grace. Hence, both their correct interpretation and their practical application presupposes a constant metanoia or conversion. Where this is absent, we have a pseudo-Christianity which leaves life's real substance untouched. Um... He goes on a bit. I think this is because I think it's, I'm just going to read a bit more here because I think it's really important. Um, considered thus, the pre-technical epochs also embraced all the possibilities of injustice and destruction. Only these operated within a psychological climate whose basic organic harmony made them appear less harmful than they would be later. Seen in this larger view, the dangers which began to be evident in the modern age and which are becoming ever more pressing are but the revelation of possibilities which have existed in all ages. To touch bottom when we set up the human as a norm, what do we mean? We can mean the essence of all possibilities that exist in man, his various attitudes to the world, the tasks he faced, and the achievements which are his response to him, them. But people who feel more at home in the past than in the present are inclined to limit these many human possibilities to those who, which dominated history up to a certain point, be it the end of the Middle Ages, the beginning of the modern times, the close of the early Victorian era, or the outbreak of World War I. Moreover, they are prone to consider the norms of their favorite epoch the sole guarantors of a sound, dignified human existence. Thus, later developments are necessarily regarded as a decline from the existentially human, especially in certain circles devoted to a humanistic point of view. But whenever this happens, the concept man is considered far too narrowly for an essentially human characteristic is man's ability, ability to cross the bounds of the organic harmonious without becoming less human than what he was before. Naturally, at such times, the dangers we described come to the fore more strongly, more unambiguously than ever, so that historically speaking, man does face the real and apparent crisis of his humanity. But crisis always means choice between positive and negative possibilities, and the real question in which man's decision is to fall. If in the present crisis, the dangers of negative choice of injustice and destruction seem greater than ever before, and this is like the key here, only the intensity of those dangers is new, nothing essential. For these have always existed in man, not exclusively in the man of the future. All we can do is accept the present situation and, strengthened by the purest powers of mind and of grace, overcome them from within. Should we fail, it would not be because our epoch as such is declining and falling. In all epochs, man is in a state of decline and fall and in need of redemption. Only in certain periods, under certain considerations, this fact can be concealed more easily than others. Sorry, it's a very long quote. I didn't. I, I forgot which page it was on, but it was actually good to hear the whole thing. Okay. Uh, 
essentially what he's saying in all this is there is no such thing as golden ages and there is no such thing as um horrible epochs like in the sense like rather he's saying no it is the condition of man to have the possibility of decline or progress that there is no such thing as a particular period uh, where decline is not as much there as it was as it is today or something like that but that that he said he's saying essentially man is essentially a fallen creature mm-hmm. we are fallen human human beings and so to go to to look to the past as some like idealistic form of life thinking out of like our, our kind of current negative judgments of today is to escape from looking within at the fundamental fact that you and I are fallen sinful human beings mm-hmm. and that the only thing that can change this if you will like that every life is a response to this dynamic I am a sinner so what am I going to do about it I'm either going to convert and change and repent or I'm going to allow sit this dynamic of sin to overtake me and to move me away from God. And that that is at the heart of human civilization, that each epoch then emphasizes the po- different positive and negative degrees to different intensity, but that they're not unique to anyone. So like today's stuff around technology and its dangers is present even in the Middle Ages, but not in such a different way because of different cultural circumstances. But the same fundamental problem exists, which is fundamentally, do I choose evil or do I choose good? Yeah. And that that is essential to humanity. And that that can't be, that can't be escaped or refound by any particular pro- pop, uh, epoch. It can only be found today. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <sighs> yeah, I'm trying to um, square this with so I think a few things in general now, I think it's fair to say that we have a linear, linear view of Christianity and we, uh, sorry, <laughs> a linear view of history. And we've talked about mm-hmm. before this whole idea of a progression or a story or this kind of linear idea of history is something particularly Christian, whereas the ancients would have more of a circular, repetitive um, idea of history where history does not tell a story it simply is there it just exists um so we've got i think and most i think people christian or post-christian or whatever um subscribe to this linear idea of history Mm -hmm. Um, but they kind of also see it as a graph going up and down as they go across history Uh, kind of like uh one of those heartbeat squiggly line Mm -hmm. thingies okay and ECG of history. The ECG of history, right? And we're either going up or we're going down. And it seems what Gordini is saying is not to look at it so much as, because there can be decline and there can be progress, but it's not as if it is the age that dictates whether we're in decline or progress, it's us. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just that, but that we often misinterpret whether or not there is decline or progress in the past or right now, mm-hmm. because we are just busy ignoring what is in ourselves and just kind of looking exactly. for larger problems to like right. distract ourselves. Yeah. I think this is why he says that a little bit earlier. Um, let me just refine it here, right? Hence, both their correct and inter- the fact is to really overlooked that Christian truths are by no means self-evident and that they speak of judgment as well as grace. Hence, both their correct interpretation and practical application presupposes a constant metanoia, a changing of mind or conversion. Where this is absence, we have pseudo-Christianity, which leaves life's real substance untouched. And so what he's, again, it's just like, yeah, it's actually, no, we actually can have a kind of direction in history, but it's up to us to choose how to do it in our own freedom towards God or against him. That he's essentially like what he's getting at here is like, no, yes, different epochs, different eras of civilization emphasize certain things over others, but those are always potent possibilities in humanity. They've never been absent there from the beginning that it's part of being human. So he's trying to say, 
you're not looking at it from the whole of human nature. You're actually looking at it in far too particular through your own particular circumstance. You're actually being too contextual, essentially. <laughs> um, you're not looking at it from the, the realm of human nature. And the realm of human nature says, this is the, the facts that are in front of me. That's reality. And so I'm going to respond to reality either through my fallenness or I'm going to allow grace to transform me to be a saint in, in the face of reality. And that that action can have substantial, can possibly help have substantial effect on the direction of history. Rather, which is, by the way, it's not forward. It's actually like, it's not even graphable in a way because it's, it's towards the eternal. So it's not even graphable because <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not an up and it's not a down because it's the eternal's both in both, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a non-graphable direction. It's a, it's an inner orientation. Um, and I, I just, I, I thought when I read that, I'm like, yes, that's like, he kind of gave word to me that I think like, some intuitions I've had about why I think, why I think we as Catholics, in the West, at least, have such crappy understandings of history and tradition, and how our reactionisms are often coming from a place that doesn't take the Christian faith and our humanity seriously. Like, um, and this happens on all forms of the spectrum. Guardini is saying it's not wrong to look to the past to gain insight about our humanity. Like what they did in the past, like, yeah, there were good things in the middle ages. So it's like, it's not wrong to like, it's not wrong to look lovingly towards the middle ages in that sense, but don't look at it in such a way as if to say it was only ever good because then you're denying or you're, you're denying the reality of human fallenness. And also it's not a bad thing to look hopefully and wishfully and wistfully even towards the future of a better world. That is a capacity in humanity, but it's only possible if humanity takes its fallenness seriously and allows grace to transform it. Otherwise, if you don't allow grace to transform it, you're then acting on your fallenness and saying, we can, we can fix a, a broken world in our brokenness, <laughs> right? It's like, a, it's like a construction worker with his hammer arm being broken, trying to build a house. It's not gonna work, right? And that's what we keep on trying. He's saying, no, 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 we're not asking the essential question. We're not looking interiorly into our hearts when we see the problems. There are real problems, but these problems have always been a possibility in humanity. The Christian's task and responsibility is towards this con constant conversion whereby I am purified and allow God to purify me. And we might fail, he said, like he said that in the quote, we might fail at this, but that's a, that's a judgment then on humanity as a whole refusing God and that's the choice they've made but we can try by choosing God ourselves and to orient our whole life around him in the reality we actually exist in not longing for a past that seems to be lost or a future that's better than what we have today but rather saying I choose God today and so like and this is why, like, I remember I was talking uh, to the friends who I've been studying this book with, because I said, you know, like, so for example, when we try to almost replicate the past in how we live our lives, first, by the way, we're being very postmodern when we're doing that. So just to give you an example, right? Let's just, again, it's not saying, not saying there's anything wrong with the Latin mass, for example, mm -hmm. but like, the very the core experiences of that in the Middle Ages was so fundamentally different than what we have today. Right. The they didn't have mass produced bread for all the altars or wine. It like Johnny Smith, the farmer, he's like, oh, that's the bread that came from my wheat and my farm. You know, mm -hmm. it's like <laughs> there was the integration of life and liturgy was so much more different. But we just think, oh, if I just have this little chunk of that, I can actually have the whole. But mm, you're actually mm -hmm. just saying, I want the chunk and not the whole. That's not being realistic. It's not wrong to look at this valuably and see this brings me something good. Mm -hmm. But you have to put, you have to instantiate it into the reality of today, into our, our real context, our real life today, into modernity, and say you have to experience it integrated in the whole of today instead. 
And so we're being kind of postmodern. We say, well, I like this thing. And it's not just traditional form of the mass. It's any, you know, maybe sometimes people like in the eighties, Oh, but I loved it when we had like dancing in the liturgy and, uh, you know, <laughs> banners and all this stuff. And, you know, people extend their hands at the Eucharistic prayer. First, again, you're imposing a particular time and trying to just, you're extracting just a little bit from a whole period in culture and trying to impose it today. You can't do that. Right. No, we have to, we have to take today seriously, rooted in the past, oriented towards eternity. And that's what Gordy's trying to say. So like, we have to stop looking longingly to the past or to the future. When we do that, we're not, he says, we're being pseudo-Christian because we're not because to be a christian is to take reality seriously rather it is the constant process of entering into conversion today that's the only way we can actually deal with the problems of today does that make sense i think it does i'm thinking of two things yeah one is that um what's that uh gk chesterton story like one of the london papers was asking what's wrong with the world today and he sent in a letter just saying i am yeah and yeah. I'm not sure if this is a better thing or a worse thing, mm-hmm. but I view both the past, the present, and the future, the penultimate future, as bad. It was bad in the past, it's bad right now, it will be bad in the future, which I don't think is necessarily a healthy way to look at things, mm-hmm. but very often that's my default of mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, even, even, um, let's, what, what would be like the best time in Christian history? I could give you a thousand reasons why that time was terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Or I, I can easily point out different times in history that are worse than they are today. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of travesty and evil. But think about even the First World War where people were literally sending thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of men to charge straight into machine gun fire. Like that's mm-hmm. awful. Um, that's living in Europe during the First World War is way more is in a lot of ways more evil than um, living in America today. Um, mm-hmm. That because uh, you, you have in there the kind of beginning of the destruction of Christendom, if Christendom ever really was Christendom. Um, that uh, I don't see things getting better in the future when you like all these stories. <laughs> It's been so hard to read stories from the pillar lately because a lot of them have been about the bishops not learning their lessons and mm-hmm. right. And it's like, well, you know what? We just know about this stuff. This stuff has been going on forever. Um, mm-hmm. And there is there is this um, token quote. I'm going to misquote it, but basically, all of history is this long defeat with only hints of final victory. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I've been able to make sense of anything. But I'm not sure that's exactly what Gordini is saying. Like, I'm not sure if I have more of a negative view or more too much of a focus on, on fallen humanity when it comes to that. Like, the world is yeah, always like, messed up, but every once in a while you get saints, and that's great. So, yay. I mean... Um, well, he, he is saying there's a large... A segment who says like yeah we're just actually just in decline essentially he's saying no that's wrong mm-hmm. it's also it, he's also saying it's wrong to say we're just in progress mm-hmm. because just that alone is not human but too many people just fall out of the one to uh, one of the two camps he's saying no it's it's rather to be human is personally like so it's, it's trying to get to he's trying to like call us back that you and i have a personal responsibility towards the whole of humanity to become saints essentially. Sure. that we have to choose god today and that means a constant willingness and openness of heart to change to convert to repent and to live out the gospel towards others today but that's essentially what he's saying. The, the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that sounds way too difficult. What if instead we just try to make the factors of our world so that they either imitate the past or look like our ideas of the future so that I don't have to change or that change won't be difficult. It'll happen for me because all the factors around me will move me in the direction I want to go. That sounds like a better way to go about living the present. The problem is you can't have those factors without people wanting them. Oh, that's why we destroy those people. But we destroy the people who but don't have the same vision of the past or future. But then you're going to be destroyed too because you don't want it. Because uh, if you want it, you'll actually commit yourself to it. 
Dang. Okay, I thought I solved it. My bad. Sorry. Sorry to sorry to sorry to not encourage you in your laziness. Oh. Um, no, I, I. You know, maybe it's a bit complicated way of saying that. It's like we. I think. And I don't think it's our fault completely. Like I, this is why I've been so fascinated by the question of like, what is history? Mm-hmm. Because I think we actually ignored it for too long as Catholics, and I think that came to bite us in the butt in the nineteenth and twentieth century. And we've only now really gained a real understanding and purpose and understand. Like we we understand like actually first the notion of history is a Christian concept in the first place, really. Right. Um, but that. the things that make things happen in history in the end is human beings. Yeah. Right. And like, like what you were just talking about, always, if we just change the structures and now we fine. Like that's what Marx thought. Yeah. Right. Marx thought, Oh, he, cause he believed in like dialectical materialism, which is this notion that materialism is first. There is, there is like a spirit, but it comes out of the material mm-hmm. and that man is defined and determined about how he interacts with the material world and how he manipulates it and shapes it. And that that will then, so if you understand how this works, this this dialectic works, you can actually like understand how history is going to unfold, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so if you change the structures, you can actually hasten the perfection of man, right? Yeah. And that that, that turned out to be false because clearly it didn't work. Because if it did, you know, uh, communism would have not have fallen in Russia, and it actually failed years before it actually fell. Yeah. Also, that's um, that's the same kind of thinking with either um, a uh, liberal progressive view or make America great again view. It's they're both, they're just different versions of the same project. Exactly. This attempt and that's, to, and that's the thing. Yeah. And this is why, this is why I'm always hesitant on like partnering with different political movements nowadays in a way, because in the end, neither of them are actually authentically Catholic. They're mm-hmm. just, they're just uh, kind of a mimetic form of a particular truth of Christianity without actually embodying the whole of Christianity because to embody the whole Christianity in the end, I mean, this is the other thing I think, and that's why it's hard to embody the whole, to attempt, to, which is to become a saint, uh, requires becoming a seed that dies. It takes the martyrological element of faith that is at the heart of the Christian life seriously. Only the one who's willing to die, like I, you know, I don't know if you noticed in the in the office of readings yesterday with Ignatius. Right, he's like, get me out of this body of death. Essentially, like, <laughs> like I want to die. <laughs> I want to be munched into wheat. And if I even tell you that I that is not me, what I'm writing to you is me and everything. Right? Like, like, <laughs> that was, it's, it's it's a very kind of like it's almost like setting up for one of those like um, gags. Like, no matter what I say, no matter how yeah. much I scream, do not open this door. It's, <laughs> He was like the first one to do yeah. that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I know I said that, but really, you know. But it's like, yeah, exactly. I, I kind of had a good laugh at that. Yeah. Because uh, I actually, I, I found that letter like, rather modern in many ways in a really cool sure, way. Sure, yeah. When I was, I love reading it every year. But that's the thing. But that's the heart of the faith is to be a martyr. Mm-hmm. It's to die so that others may live. That ain't easy. No. But it's the heart of the Christian life. And that also, so like... I don't know if there's a connection or not. I, I have an intuition there might be between metanoia and kenosis. Like noia is like noose and and gnosis with a with a G is knowledge. So I'm wondering if there's like a wonder if there's a uh, connection of like mind anyways. Because you can't do metanoia without kenosis, which is the self emptying, which is death, which is dying to self. The metanoia means my mind is not the absolute only Christ's is mm-hmm. and thus I need to allow him to form me into him today not as I wish things could be one way or the other I choose Jesus today and I think if we can start taking that seriously and running to like my favorite phrase lately this last couple of years has been like running towards reality mm-hmm and and running towards it with that desire to seek him and to find him today like we keep on saying like where's god we keep on because we actually aren't seeking him yeah that's mm-hmm. we actually aren't seeking him no we're seeking him as we want him to be mm-hmm. folks that's not faith that's pseudo christianity yeah that that that's is good old-fashioned christianity idolatry it's postmodern. it's postmodern i want the god that i can create 
Let's not say even and make him in mean, my own image. Yes, that's not yeah, only right, postmodern, but that's that's pointing at a golden that's calf Sinai. and saying that's exactly. the God who delivered you, Israel. Like that's something we've been doing since the beginning of uh, exactly yeah, since the fall. And the Christian, the whole Christian tradition, calls that out and calls it sin. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of the issues in the church, and it's not aided at times by certain happenings. That question, oh, because now I remember what the question earlier now around the um, um, the church's... Um, trusting the trusting church. church. Yeah, because there's actually a good point there too. Yeah, a lot of people witness against the ability to even trust it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like a lot of mistakes of bishops, priests, lay people, etc. And uh, evils too. Yeah, and not yeah. just mistakes, not evils just mistakes. and good. crimes. Yeah. Right? Uh, that witnesses against this mm-hmm. in a deep way. And it's an anti-sacrament. Yes. And so, but it's, so that doesn't aid things at times when we have our own agendas about what we think the church should be, what I think Christ should be. It says, no, I'm going to empty myself of all that and choose the God who reveals, which Mm -hmm. means he's greater than me. Only then can we actually start authentically living Christianity. I don't think we've repented of our sin in the church, not just in terms of like, abuse stuff and everything I'm talking like personally like the fact that I'm not hearing seven to ten hours of confessions a week tells me that things still aren't right I agree with that it's reminding me a buddy of mine who was in this big 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 at least it was big 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 parish down south was saying if all of our parishioners went to confession once a month yeah we would literally do nothing else except hear confessions yep um also, I think if you had that many people going to confession, um, I think the problem would solve itself in the sense that you'd be having a lot of vocations from that place. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. I, you're right. No, I, I, when I preached on confession a few months ago, I, I kind of laid it out for people. I said, you know, if I think we should be going at least once a month, I said, it's very sad that the lineup for computer communion are far longer than the lineups for confession let's let's save that Actually, for next episode because i'm gonna make it a confession episode again because i got okay. some we always like talking about confession yeah. but we're gonna dive in because i think and I, I think it's a good thing because like the more i think about it i'm like it's the forgotten sacrament mm-hmm. i i want anointing of the sick but i don't want to go oh, no, i'm good i don't need to go to confession i just want the anointing like i want communion i don't want it i, I don't want confession it's a sign that we're not living we actually don't want the truth we don't want christ yeah we don't want conversion we want a magic talisman that allows us to keep doing whatever we want yep and because of that we keep on going into these different camps Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and that that is not helping things and it's actually only going to make things worse so you want to make the church better go to confession repent and seek christ today you know, it sounds yes. obvious when you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, this isn't hard, folks. This isn't hard. Excellent. This is easy. Yeah. Good. All right. That's enough monologuing for today. All right. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. Don't turn off the podcast yet. I know you like turning it off as soon as I do that with my intonation that you know so well, but you're not going to do it because you're going to listen. If you guys could please check out our Patreon uh, to help uh, us pay uh, (laughs) for the podcast to run. Uh, Right now, as I mentioned before, uh, our last episode, we currently don't have enough Patreon money to pay Nick and Riley and the weird taxes that happen because of Patreon. Uh, So if you guys could please uh, think about donating, any amount is helpful. We've got some... um, uh, different tiers of our podcasts on patreon they're kind of a joke but whatever ever you can donate is appreciated um some of you guys stepped up last time really appreciate that so thanks for that also i'm going to rome and to tuscany and to assisi with my friend taylor schroll if you'd like to join us next year it's gonna be super fun go to fortecatholic.com slash travel last time i tried to plug this i gave you a really complicated thing and taylor was like that's dumb Father Anthony, just say ForteCatholic.com slash travel. So do that. Did I say all the other things? That's good enough. It's fine. It's you, fine. You, People know you where can, to find us. You, you can find me um, huffing, smelling salts. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> just where, God bless you. Where, where can they find you? Anywhere. 
I'm everywhere. <laughs> Contact their podcast. Receive updates at Clerical Pod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking.com. If you have a theological emergency, call 412-912-7995. Peace. So here's the thing. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a messy show. <laughs> Sorry, no, Nick. it's a messy end. But here's the thing. No, 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 no. It's what? great. What? Those... The people who signed off early missed all this great. Oh yes, yeah. all this great it's content. Amazing. This is why I love listening to me fumble through. Never our, turn off a podcast early, folks. Script. Wait till the bitter end. We're like that. It's like that TV show where there's like suddenly after the credits, there's like a thirty-second clip. You know, I've been, you know, I've heard that called several different things. Either a stinger, or what else is it called? There's like four different it's a names. Stinger if it's a movie, I think, because it's it's meant to be like a little tease for something in the future. Okay, but I've heard it called. Like four different I things. Know. I don't know what it is. If you know what that thing is, if you know that, send us an email telling us what the yeah, different nature of those things thing. are. Do the thing. Yeah. Can we be done right. now? Yeah, we can be done. Okay, bye. God bless y'all. <laughs>